1: Let's take our Bibles, jump right into our message this morning. I'm so grateful for the music this morning, all those who participated. And I'm so thankful for the Lear family being here. And uh, what an excellent presentation uh, for us to capture a burden for that Portland area and to come alongside them. 1st John chapter number 4 a couple weeks ago as uh, uh, as you uh, are if you've been coming you know we're going uh, through the book of 1st John verse by verse line by line you're visiting with us it's called exegetical preaching we're just breaking down each verse as it comes and wherever it takes us and so we're now uh, many months in the book of 1st John never get tired of the word of God and, uh, uh, and you can be right there with me every week as we, um, as we study together. And we look back at verse number 12 and we recognize this fact is that no man has seen God at any time. God is invisible. However, if the Bible is true and what John has written, if we love one another, God becomes visible in us. And people can't see his essence, but they can certainly see his actions. Jesus said it this way, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. It was back in World War II, just uh, sensitive to World War II, having just done a funeral service for a World War II vet in our church, Uh, I I say this respectfully. The men and women who lived during the World War II era were different than, than, than many of the men and women that live today. We do not know the sacrifice that was involved for those who lived during the World War II era. And so I just say we should always have respect for those who gave sacrificially for our country to be able to worship like this today. And at the end of World War II, all throughout Europe, there was countrysides that were ravaged by war and just ruins everywhere. And the saddest part of that plight right after World War II was all the orphaned children um, that was seen starving in the streets. I even remember going up and seeing the picture of of a soldier who was there in one of the London streets and he spotted a little boy. He had his nose pressed up against the window of a pastry shop. And inside the cook was kneading that dough and making a fresh batch of donuts for the day. And the hungry boy, you could just see him drooling there and... You could just imagine what his mind uh, and how it was racing and how he would just like, just, just one taste of one of those donuts. The soldier, he saw the little boy with his nose pressed up against the window on that frosty morning. And uh, the soldier said, son, would you like one of those? And the boy said, oh, would I? And with that, the soldier disappeared in the pastry shop, came back, Gave the little boy a sack with a dozen pastries in it. And turned around and walked down the street. The young child turned around and said, Sir, are you God? John writes this letter to tell us that we are never more like God than when we act in love. We are never more like God when we act in love. In love. In fact, God not only wants us to act in love, he wants us to dwell in love. Let's read our text passage together this morning. We are going to read verses 13 through 21. And as is our custom here, we do responsive reading. You will read the even verses. I will read the odd verses. But follow along and participate this morning. Verse 13, hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us his spirit.
0: And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world.
1: Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in
0: God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him.
1: Herein is our love made perfect. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world.
0: There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love.
1: We love him because he first loved us.
0: If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And
1: this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Father, thank you for all that's taken place, and I think you've been honored. Thank you for the choir and the special music. Thank you for the fellowship time. Thank you for keeping us safe. Father, now as we turn our attention to the most important part of this service, and that's the preaching of the Word of God, may you empower this servant with your Holy Spirit to be totally controlled by your Holy Spirit. And Father, that each one of us, we would also be controlled by the Holy Spirit as we listen and we carefully ask you to speak to us, encourage us with your Word, in Jesus' name, amen. The word abide, or its derivative, appears some 21 times throughout the book of 1 John. We've actually spent quite a bit of time uh, discussing this word abide, or abideth. Uh, Writing to the first century Christians, the Apostle John, he declares that God does not just want a relationship with us, That's salvation, but he wants fellowship with us, which is relationship. He wants to abide. He wants uh, uh, us to settle down in an intimate, passionate relationship with Jesus. Um, you, You see, when Christ abides in me, that's relationship, and I abide in him, that's fellowship. I have that exact same intimacy with Jesus that the apostles had when they personally walked and they personally talked with Jesus. Think about that. I have the very spirit of the living God living within me. And I can talk with him. I can commune with him. Verse number 8 simply says this. God is love. And when we abide with God, we abide in love. Someone might say, Pastor, how can I know I'm abiding in love with God? And and, and John gives us three assurances. And then he gives us three assurances attributes of abiding in love I'd like to examine those six things this morning first of all let's look at the three assurances that will be a part of your life if you are abiding in love here's assurance number one is that the, I will have the discernible presence of the spirit of God I will have the discernible presence of the Spirit of God. John said in verse 13, Hereby know that we, are, that we dwell in him, and that he in us, on the basis of this fact, that he hath given us his Holy Spirit. Now notice carefully when we go through a verse-by-verse, word-by-word rendering of the Word of God, that it doesn't merely say he has given us his Spirit, but that he has given of his spirit. Literally, this translates out of his spirit. When we love as God loves, we are drawing on the very resources of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. John 5, verse 5 tells us this. The love of God is shed abroad in our lives by the Holy Ghost. Notice this, which is given unto us. Do you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you this morning? I say that we ought to say, thank you, Heavenly Father, for allowing me to have that personal relationship and fellowship with you. When you became a Christian, that Holy Spirit took up personal residence, which is permanent Until you go to heaven that's what verse 14 uh, means when he says he in us that phrase there That means he poured out God's love in you so that you have all the resources that you need to love as God does So how do we know that we dwell in him and he in us? What is that discernible difference that I have that the world does not have? We know or understand this By the presence of the Holy Spirit. We can sense the Holy Spirit working in our lives. We can hear his still, small voice in our hearts. We sense conviction and encouragement and comfort and direction. The Holy Spirit is amazing. And if you've never tapped into that resource in your life, oh, you're missing out on so much. He's there for you. He's real. So... I began this year, uh, January 1st, with a long list of goals that I'd like to accomplish. Personal goals, spiritual goals, uh, professional or ministry goals. And, and so I, I pray through those. And, and one of those is about my prayer life. And, and, I, and I like to test God. Have you ever tested the Lord? What I mean by that is I like to pray a prayer that no one else knows about. So that way, there's no cheating. It, wait, wait, was it my prayer and talking with the Lord, or was it they were more right with the Lord than I was, and so the Lord answered their prayer. So I like to pray a prayer that no one else knows about. And, uh, and so January the 1st, I had a, a unique prayer request um, that, was, that's, that was personal, perhaps selfish, but it was just something between the Lord and I, that if he answered it, I know that I not only have relationship, but I have fellowship with him. It's amazing when that happens. And the Lord answered that prayer on Friday. It's amaz- a very specific request that none of you could have possibly been praying for. And the Lord answered that request on Friday. And I've just been beaming ever since. I know I have relationship because I trusted him. But even more than relationship, I know I have fellowship with my Heavenly Father. And he cares about me. Do you have that testimony? It's real, it's possible, and it is not just because I have a title pastor. It's because I'm a Christian, and it's available to you. you, Do you have relationship and fellowship? It's amazing when God answers a personal prayer request that only you have been praying, and you know um, uh, uh, that that is real. Okay, you say, Pastor, that doesn't happen to me. It hasn't happened. In fact, I can't remember the last time that God answered one of my prayer requests. Well, one of two things is wrong in your life this morning. First of all, you might not have a relationship with God. You might not have a relationship. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. He says, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not that your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be re- uh, reprobate or unsaved or lost? I ask you this morning, do you know you're in the faith? You say, God doesn't answer my prayers. I can't, I can't tell you with a beaming face and, and eyes lit up that God has specifically answered one of my prayers in any recent time. You might not have relationship. Oh, you can pray a little prayer. You can be baptized. You can go to church for years. You can appear on the outside to be a Christian. But if you do not have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God in your life, please listen, you do not have salvation. If the Holy Spirit does not live inside you, you do not have relationship. You do not have salvation. You are not a Christian. You are not a born-again believer. Whatever terminology that you would like to use. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says this. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. That's pretty direct. Second, you say, okay, well, I know I'm saved. That is not a question. I know that I'm a Christian. How many of you with an amen this morning, you know that you're a Christian? Amen. amen. That's awesome. Hundreds and hundreds of people, and you know that you're a Christian. But, Pastor, God doesn't always answer my prayers like you just said. He hasn't answered a specific prayer request in a long time. Well, you might have relationship, but you might not have fellowship. I know I'm a Christian, but I might not have fellowship with God. It may be that you're genuinely saved and, you're, and you've heard the Holy Spirit's voice in your life before, but now maybe there's a little rebellion or bitterness or resentment or guilt or conviction that hasn't been taken care of. And you may have filled your life with busyness that the, uh, that the frantic noise of life and your schedule has drowned it out what the Bible calls a still, small voice that lives within you. If you belong to Christ and you abide in him of his spirit, out of the abundance of his spirit, you can love as he loves. I love reading stories about D.L. Moody. Time doesn't permit to give us his upbringing, but suffice it to say, he was not born with a silver spoon in his mouth. But God blessed him as a preacher, and he was given an invitation to come to England from Chicago, and to preach in a number of of churches, And, and several pastors got together there in England, and one of the younger pastors said this, why do we need Mr. Moody? He's uneducated, he's inexperienced, and who does he think he is anyway? Does he think he has some monopoly on the Holy Spirit? To which one of the older, wiser pastors in that group of pastors, he said this, no, the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. Could that be said of us, that your relationship is real, but your fellowship is so discernible, so evident to everyone that someone say, man, the Holy Spirit controls that person's life. Here is the second assurance. The second assurance is this. That the confident confession of the Son of God. If you want to know that I'm going to abide in in love. That there's going to be a confident confession of the Son of God. Are you ashamed of the name of Jesus? Didn't we hear a lot about that in the song service this morning? I love the name of Jesus. Because he's done so much for me. John says and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. For three years they had seen with their eyes Jesus. However, it was only after they received the Comforter the Holy Spirit on that day called Pentecost did they have the power to testify of the Son uh, 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 as Savior. Um, if I, I just have to share this illustration with you. Several years ago, I was at Sam's Club in Fairmont, West Virginia. We had gone up uh, to visit. Uh, uh, the three children were still at home, and Shelley and I and the three children, we drove up to see Mom and Dad. Dad was still living. And uh, so we went up to, and we went to Sam's Club, and, and uh, we were in the parking lot of Sam's Club. I remember it just like it was yesterday. And, um, and there was this guy doing something that seemed weird. He had these, um, these wooden cages in the back of his truck. And he was just parked over to the side. He wasn't trying to draw attention to it. But I was sitting in uh, the car waiting on whatever. And, and I was watching this guy. And he would reach in. He would take out a bird. He would look at, at, at its leg. Um, and then he would look at it. And he would go. he would look back and forth. And he would say something to the bird. And then he would go, whoom, and the bird would take off. Well, I watched this three times, and I was curious. So I got out of the car, and went to go find out, what is this guy doing? And, um, and I got there, and he was all too happy to talk about his craft. And he says, these are called homing pigeons. And, um, and he, he said, they've been trained from the nest. And that is, is that uh, they will always return home. And, uh, and he said, we started out in the yard, and then we would get a, a, a half a mile away, then a mile away. I said, well, where are you from? He said, I'm from Romney, West Virginia. That's two hours away. I said, you drove all the way down here just to let your pigeons go? He goes, oh, yes. He said, it's so thrilling. He says, by the time I get back home, they'll already be back in the nest. I said, this is a strange hobby. There's got to be a sermon illustration in this that I can use sometime. Well then, I, so I just have kept out, and I just watched him. And, and, and the reason he was looking at their legs, every one of the birds had a number attached to the leg. And he was looking at their eyes to see that they were clear, And, and then he would say something like, I love you, baby, and I'll see you back home. and uh, And off the bird went. Well, I was reading a, was reading a story uh, that Gordon Brownville wrote in a, in a book um, about the discovery of the North Pole and the South Pole. And we all are familiar with uh, uh, the Norwegian explorer Amundsen, and, and he was the first to discover magnetic, uh, the meridian of the North Pole. He discovered the South Pole. What, a, what an explorer he was. But on one of his trips, uh, Mr. Brownville wrote that he took homing pigeons with him when he went to the North Pole. And when he got to the North Pole, he discovered the North Pole, he got out uh, his cage, and from his cage, I'm taking great liberties there, he looked at the number on his bird, looked at the eyes, said, I love you, go tell my wife I'm okay, and he threw threw the bird up in the air. Well, it actually was several weeks later that Mrs. Emerson in Norway, uh, she saw the, the pigeon circling the house, and it landed in... Its nest there in Norway, and it was her husband telling his wife that all was well, everything is okay. What an amazing story! I read that. May I just tell you that when Mrs. Amundsen said, "He's alive! I know he's alive! Everything is okay," may I just tell you this morning? So it is. When Jesus ascended, He sent His Holy Spirit. Now I do not, in any mean, any way, mean to. To be sacrilegious that the Holy Spirit's a homing pigeon, but the illustration is is that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you and he doesn't ever leave. He always knows where his home is. We break fellowship and minimize the work of the holy spirit. That holy spirit is always there and we need to hang on to that promise. The holy spirit wants to do something great in your life. Jesus is not the savior of uh, uh, of everyone in the world, but he's the savior of anyone in the world who comes to him in faith. And by a big amen, there's a lot of you Who've come to this Savior. Verse 15 says that anyone can know that God dwelleth in him, and he in God, he shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Confesses does not merely mean believes. Many people, they believe Jesus is the Son of God, but they have no relationship with him. Rather, confesses carries the idea of committing one's life. To confess Christ is to surrender everything in your life to Him. Back in chapter 3 and verse 18, it says to love Him not just in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Confesses also carries the idea of speaking about Christ, the one who abides in the love of the Lord and can't help but be a witness for Him. They talk about Him. How many of you grandparents... Right now, on your phone, in your Bible, in your pocketbook, in your wallet, you have a picture of one of your grandchildren i do i have i th- those pictures never get deleted we're thankful and and uh, as a grandparent, you love to talk about your grandchildren um, In fact, if we said how many grandchildren do you have you would you would uh, you wouldn't just say five, you'd say five, let me tell you about them. They're this age, this age, here are their names, here's where they live. We love to talk about our grandchildren. You can't help but talk about them because you love them. When a guy falls in love with a girl, he can't help but talk about her. And they'll talk on the phone for hours and they'll text back and forth for hours. And when you love golf or hunting or fishing or football or whatever you like, you will talk about it because you love it. You can't help but talk about what you love. May I say the reason that many people don't talk about Jesus is because they don't abide in him. They don't love him. They don't love him the same way uh, as those hobbies that uh, others talk about incessantly. There's a third assurance uh, that if you're abiding in love, this will be evident in your life. The third assurance is this, the visible outworking of the love of God. It will be visible to everyone that you love God. God. Notice with me verse 12. John has already stated that if we love one another, there are two things that are true. First of all, God dwells or he abides in us. And secondly, his love is perfected. That word perfected means fulfilled in us. In verse number 16, John writes, he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. In other words, the believer who's in fellowship with God abides in God's love and that is an assurance to that person. John also says this, if you have your Bible still open at the beginning of the verse, we have known and believed, or we have come to believe and rely on the love that God hath to us. We are certain that God uh, loves us um, uh, because of that outward abiding evidence, not only of the Holy Spirit, but that we love others. Has that been manifested in your life? Has that been made known? There's an outpouring, there's an outworking of the love of God in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul takes the Corinthian congregation to task. He calls them out. And that was because of their lack of love. He actually, it's pinned for us to read anytime we want in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And they came to the lord 's table to celebrate their love for him, but the fact is that the Paul said you don 't love each other, so how can you love him if you do not love each other? Paul told them that this was dangerous to celebrate the lord 's supper or communion with God under false pretenses. They were not to come to the lord 's supper. Uh, they were not to partake of the elements if they had aught one with another, their fellowship with each other had to be restored. Paul said this in verse 26, For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. They were to remember the Lord's death. Why is that? Because his death is the ultimate symbol of his love. Think about that. Jesus dying on the cross was the ultimate symbol of his love for us. And he said in John 15 and verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life, for his friends. This morning, if you're abiding in Christ, you hear that voice of the Holy Spirit and you speak about Jesus and you live your life uh, about Jesus in love. If someone has only a little love, it's because they have a little fellowship with God. On the other hand, when you see a mature believer who constantly acts in love, you know that they have strong fellowship with the Lord. And I'm thankful. That in this congregation, I can start naming several of you who have that outward manifestation of God's love. Do you have these three assurances in your life? Now, if I were to continue on, it would scare half of you because there's no way I could finish my message. And I studied hard for the message, so I'm not going to race through the uh, second half of my message. And so I'm going to stop right there. Shockingly, that is not how I normally do it. We always have to finish but I want you to take these three assurances and want you to ask, are they a part in your li- uh, of your life? And in two weeks, I'll come back and I'll finish this message and we'll continue in at 1 John as we look at the three attributes uh, in your life. But let me ask you, just like the homing pigeon always returns to where it abides, does the Holy Spirit abide in you. You could close your notes and close your Bible and I'd like to finish with an illustration and then we'll transition to the last part of our service. I would like you to test your faith this week. Really? Yes. I'd like for you to talk to Jesus through uh, His finished work on the cross. Through that Holy Spirit that lives within you, you said amen. You said that you're a believer. You believe that. Then I want you to talk to the Lord this week. Don't assume someone else is going to pray on your behalf. You talk to the Lord. Ask the Lord. Talk to him. See what, uh, what he can do. Maybe you have a job decision. Don't rest on your own laurels. Talk to the Lord about it. Maybe you have a medical condition and you have to go see a doctor this week. Talk to the Lord about it. Maybe you're thinking about selling your home and buying another home. Talk to the Lord about it. Now, maybe you're trying to buy a car in 2024 and, um, and, uh, and, and you need to pray about it. There's no cars on the lot right now, but you need a car. Pray about it. Do you know that so often we do not pray about things that are really important to God and He cares about it? When was the last time you prayed and God answered your prayer, and you know that He lives within you. I have relationship I'm a Christian. but also a fellowship, He hears my prayer, and he answers my prayer. Let's do that this week. Now, if you're here this morning, I see several folks who are visiting. Thank you so much. Four or five families visiting with us today. Thank you for being here today. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I would love to personally sit down and talk with you, take God's word and show you how you can become a Christian, which is the first step called relationship. We all must have relationship if our eternity is going to be secured in a place called heaven. Just as I did that funeral service a week ago for a World War II vet, he had testimony, he had relationship, he knew when he was saved. Do you know when you trusted Christ? If you do not, allow us to talk to you today.